the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on a Monday. It is the 24th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Really appreciate you being with us. We've got a nice show lined up for you this morning. Coming up uh, in about a half an hour, we are going to be talking with Congressman Jim Jordan, as we do each and every Monday. It'll be the second time I've talked to the congressman in about uh, five days, four days, as he joined me. Excuse me, he joined me uh, on the Sebastian Gorka show. Um, on uh, Thursday, I think it was Thursday. It was a Thursday or Friday. I have to say, last week was a blur. Last week I did, uh, we're in a normal week live on air. We do about 15 hours of radio on this show. I mean, did 45 hours of radio last week. So it was a very, very hectic thing. I'm trying to remember. I think Jordan was on with me on Gorka on uh, fr- uh, Friday, Johnny is telling me it was Friday. Okay, and it's important, obviously, because we had two very, very important hearings on Capitol Hill last week. One, uh, of the judiciary with the uh, whistleblowers from the IRS and the FBI center stage uh, pointing out these preferential treatment and the protection of the Biden crime family from the Department of Justice. Uh, thanks to the whistleblowers, we know 
almost everything about that now. And then, of course, on Thursday, that was Wednesday, Thursday, then there was the Oversight Committee hearing on censorship. And Jim Jordan, I beg your pardon, that was not oversight. That was a weaponization subcommittee under the judiciary. That was uh, Jim Jordan at the center of that as well. So we have... Uh, uh, we had a lot of very important things to talk about with him. We'll kind of find out where we are now and what we are looking at this week. And there are more hearings set up for this week, and we're going to cover that with Jim Jordan at about 9.35. Uh, then at 10.10 this morning, we're, we're going to go down to Cincinnati. There was a there was an attack on a police officer there that almost defies description. I don't want to have to describe it to you, really. But I will, uh, and and I'll let a TV a station down there kind of explain it as well. But there was an, an attack on a police officer that I submit to you would not have occurred if we hadn't just completely hamstrung and handcuffed our police officers. And I think more and more of these kinds of things are going to happen until we allow cops to be cops again. I can't tell you how many times I have watched videos on Instagram and I've had videos sent to me on TikTok too uh, from people who said, watch this, watch this. And it's just interaction after interaction of police officers with suspects who have been stopped for something or have been police officers are responding to radio calls, whatever the case might be, the insolence and the disrespect and the attacks verbal on the police officers that you see that never in a billion years would have flown and never would you have thought about. I mean, there used to be a time in this country where police officers were treated with, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, sir, because they are in a position of authority and because they are doing a job that is very, very difficult to do, whose ultimate goal, whose end game is to protect and serve the people that they're interacting with. And the people generally knew and respected that. And now it's calling them mother blankers, calling them just virtually every vile thing that you can think of, videotaping them with their little camera phones, even though the officers have the um, uh, the body cams on and the dash cams and everything else, uh, the minute a police officer asks them for an identification, getting in their face and saying, give me your badge number. The cops are on the defensive in every interaction they have, and no one in blue wants to exert authority anymore because they're afraid they're going to get hit with excessive force complaints. They're going to be the ones who are accused of being insensitive, maybe politically incorrect because of the way they talk to somebody. Cops aren't allowed to be cops anymore. I talk about this in some great depth on my my TV program. If you haven't watched my TV program on the uh, True Blue Streaming Network... You should. It's called True Blue Today. Go to watchtrueblue.com. I talk about this a lot there, much more than I do on the radio side now. Um, but this story just just infuriated me as the Cincinnati police officer responding to a radio call of a very, very, very large man described as being over six foot five and over three, or be, be, as being six foot five and over three hundred pounds, was exposing himself to people on a Cincinnati street and 
exhibiting some very bizarre behaviors. And um, the police officer responded, and the moment he responded, there wasn't even a chance for him to exert authority or control of the situation. He was attacked. He was struck and then beaten with his own police baton, tased by his own police taser, and this this giant menacing man then tried to gouge out the officer's eyes. I kid you not, it's all in the report. The um, president of the FOP down there, Dan Hills, is going to join me at 1010 to talk about what is going on. First of all, with that case, the condition of that officer, and then how on earth it can be that that there's just police have lost all hold on 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 their communities and they were supposed to hold their communities in so far that doesn't mean police state in so far as being able to exhibit authority and use whatever force is necessary to protect the public from menacing figures like this and it's just disgusting as soon as i read that story yesterday I immediately put my connections to work and said we have to talk to somebody down there and the fop president is dan hills that'll be Coming up at uh, at uh, ten ten this morning, and then at eleven ten uh, this morning, we're going to talk to an old friend, someone with whom I had some uh, pretty intense disagreements with during the primary run for governor last year because he was uh, he. I don't want to rehash it all, truthfully, uh, but uh, Mark Paquita is a former Senate candidate, uh, a patriot, truly. Uh, I feel like uh, uh, the situation involving uh, Blystone and Renacy and DeWine last year was very, very unfortunate, very, very ugly. But uh, Mark has come back around now, and Mark is doing some great work on behalf of Issue 1 and supporting Issue 1 in the August 8th election. Some great work. He did some research about past amendments to the Ohio Constitution, what they passed by, what they failed by, those that failed, and uh, what the likely likely impact of a 60% majority will have on the Ohio Constitution being amended going forward if we are successful in Issue 1. Now, and that'll be coming up at 1110. I'm very impressed by the work Mark did, and we're going to talk to him about it and get him to explain it to everybody about why it's essential for us to uh, to pass Issue 1. Having said that, polling doesn't look good early on. Polling doesn't look good from an, from an early voting standpoint. Early voting started on July 11th, so tomorrow will be two weeks since it began. And according to surveys, um, it is going to be an uphill climb to pass this uh, pass this issue, pass this amendment to the Ohio Constitution, uh, in order to change the passage of amendments to the Ohio Constitution. So, um, we're going to talk to uh, Mark about that, and I certainly welcome your thoughts on that as well. There are a lot of very, very strong patriotic Americans trying to push back against the no on issue one side that is supported and backed by the Democrat Socialist Party. The legitimate one, not just because I call Democrats socialists, but the actual Democrat Socialists of America Party, the uh, Communist Revolutionary Communist Party, Revolutionary Communist Party USA. Easy for me to say. Uh, the Planned Parenthoods, the Black Lives Matters, the ACLU's, the NAACP's, and all of the radical leftist groups who are trying to advance a radical leftist agenda, not just in Ohio but across the country. And Ohio could be a linchpin for them. Um, pushing back against all of those groups. There are a lot of very, very strong patriots, and we need you to be among them, and we need you to get out there and vote. Don't wait until August 8th and then find out you couldn't make it down to the uh, to the uh, polling place. Do not do that. Go to the Board of Elections and cast your votes right now. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. Do it early so that we don't have to worry. <clears throat> 
about making up a huge deficit on election day. So there you go. I got Jim Jordan. I got um, I've got Dan uh, Hills. We've got uh, Mark Piquet all on tap today, and you as well. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. What do you say we uh, do something that our United States Women's World Cup soccer team would be abhorred at? What do you say we pay some respect to the United States of America? And if you're wondering yourself, what are you talking about? What do you mean the U.S. women's team wouldn't support the U.S.? What do you mean they don't they don't want to respect the United States of America? You heard me. I didn't stutter. It was just another shameful, embarrassing moment directed and led by Megan Rapino, the radical, anti-American, LGBTQ mafia leader for the a U.S. women's team who, now that she's retiring, says we should bring trans women, otherwise known as men, into World Cup soccer because they're real women if they say they're women. You know the story by now, right? Well, the U.S. women's national soccer team, which has gone out of its way to be an embarrassment to this country for some time now, even though they win World Cups, nobody enjoys it, nobody can celebrate it, nobody really cheers it. The reason why is because... Um, they don't like this country, or at least a large portion of that team. They had the opening ceremonies just uh, late last week. Or not the opening ceremonies, I don't want to call it that. It was it was before their first match against Vietnam. And um, when the Vietnamese anthem played, the Vietnamese team did what all of the teams, except for ours, does. The... Vietnamese team sang their country's national anthem because they're playing in the World Cup on behalf of their country, Vietnam. It's who they represent. It's on their jerseys. It's in their team name. It's Vietnam. They sang with pride and passion. Then they played the American national anthem. American team is also supposed to represent their nation. It's on the uniform. It's the U.S., the United States of America playing the anthem. And the majority of the women wouldn't put their hands on their hearts, wouldn't sing along with the national anthem, and expose themselves as being exactly what so many of us knew they are. They are not proud of this country. They do not care about this country. They do. They think this country is racist at its core, that it's oppressive to people of of color or to people of different gender orientations or ideologies. The reality is these women are playing for themselves, not for us, not for the United States, not for the country, to bring glory to the country and cheering on our, 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 our athletes in an international competition. They're playing for themselves. Selfishness is at the core of the U.S. women's national soccer team. And I'll say this, too. I tweeted this, and I Facebooked this, before we do our our pledge here. I tweeted and Facebooked this um, yesterday in response to the story that I'm describing right now. In 19... I wasn't alive in 1936, but, you know, talking about the history of the moment. In 1936, we loved Jesse Owens for showing up Hitler and winning four gold medals, completely destroying Hitler's Aryan race superiority uh, theory. 
We loved Jesse Owens showing up Hitler because we hated the Nazis. In 1980, we loved the U.S. Olympic team, the hockey team, for beating the Soviets because we hated the communists. So now here we are in 2023. How are we supposed to love the U.S. Women's World Cup team when they hate America? The comparison is striking. I mean, we che- Americans would cheer for every American in every international competition they could ever think of entering because it's we're better than them. That's just that's what we believe, and we are. We're the greatest nation in the history of the world. So when we come when it comes down to competitions, athletic, I don't care if it's a spelling bee. I don't care if it's Parcheesi or Tiddlywinks. If there's an international competition and we send our best and put them up against the world's best, we cheer them. Except now, how do we cheer a U.S. Women's World Cup team that hates America? It's just a, it's a really bizarre and sad state of affairs. At any rate, I think you know where I'm going with this. Go ahead and stand and... Put your hand on your heart and face your flag if you have one and join me for this Pledge of Allegiance. If you are standing or kneeling in solidarity with the U.S. women's team, not singing the anthem, not pledging allegiance, well, don't fake it on our account. You can go ahead and take that knee alongside them. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is 925. I'll take a time out of here. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz and The Answer. And a good morning to you once again, uh, 9.35 on this Monday. Appreciate you being with us. want to welcome back to our program our uh, 4th Congressional District Representative, happens to be the Oversight Committee, or excuse me, the Judiciary Committee Chair and also the Chairman of the Weaponization of Government Subcommittee on the Judiciary. Congressman Jim Jordan, good morning, sir. How was your weekend? It was good, Bob. How about yours? Uh, busy, busy, but good, good. I appreciate you coming on again. We spoke, obviously, on Dr. Gorka's show on Friday. I know you've been doing yeah. a lot of uh, interviews because there's a lot of ground to cover here. Uh, very important um, uh, hearings that we held last week or that you held last week on, judi- on judi- oversight and in uh, the mm-hmm. weaponization subcommittee. Let's go back, if we can, just for a moment and update us on anything new since we heard from the whistleblowers Joseph Ziegler and uh, Gary Shapley essentially uh, put it, almost trotting out chapter and verse of all of the protection of the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden yeah. relationship uh, and uh, the investigations that were done into the tax evasion by Hunter Biden. Uh, that was yeah. a bombshell that we got on on uh, on a Wednesday, and everybody's asking me, okay, we got the bombshell now. Where did we go from here, sir? Well, I think the Judiciary Committee, as, as we talked about last week, we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, the different different stories coming from the Justice Department. I mean, if you step back, I really think there's kind of three big overarching questions. The first one is, what were they doing for the money? What was the service? What was the product? What was the value they added? The only thing you could come up with is it was to provide access to to Joe Biden. And, they got, and for that, they had 20 different shell companies set up, nine different Bidens getting paid, taking in millions of dollars from foreign nationals. That all seems kind of strange. 
but that's what exactly what was going on. The second question is, was the president involved in the business himself? Was he advising them? Was he getting money? Sure looks like it based on the 1023 that's released. They talk about the big guy there. There's the other reference they had to the big guy, the email from the laptop. And, it, and, and this 1023 talks about $5 million going to both Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. So it's beginning to look like Joe Biden was intricately involved in the business, whether it's advice or what have you, who, who knows, But and, and, receipt of, and receipt of money. And then finally, the third, I think, fundamental question is, and this is the one I raised in the hearing last week, is mm-hmm. who are you going to believe? The whistleblowers whose testimony has been consistent, whose testimony has not wavered, who's been checked out, who's been confirmed by an FBI agent who was, who was deposed a week ago today, or the Justice Department, the Biden-Garland Justice Department, whose story has changed multiple times on how they handled this investigation. And so I, I think when you, when you look at it all like that, it's like, wow, this is, this is now getting to a point where this is really serious and everything seems to be checking out from, from what we, we, we kind of suspected years ago. Have you had an opportunity to get David Weiss under oath? We have not. Now, he wants to come in and do a uh, uh, testify in front of a hearing. What we're looking to do is talk to a number of people who were involved in the investigation, including some of the assistant attorneys, some of the FBI agents who were involved in the investigation. Because remember what the whistleblower said. They said for most of that four-year investigation, four and a half years, for most of that investigation, the investigators and the prosecutors were on the same page. And then they get to this now this, this meeting on October 7th, 2022, where David Weiss comes in and said, I don't have authority to t- charge where I want. I asked for special counsel status. I couldn't get it. That's what Chapley testified to. Memorialized that that day, sent it to his boss. His boss agreed with what he memorialized in that email, and the Justice Department said something different. So, But up until that time, they were all on the same page, and, and then it changed. So uh, we want to talk to a number of those people and then talk to David Weiss. Congressman Jordan, tell me more about the 1023 form. Uh, Democrats who are trying to, you know, give some sort of response to that damning uh, document once it was released by Chuck Grassley to the American people, they're saying that it's compromised. They also said that the primary source behind the information contained in it has retracted or or somehow, uh, you know, changed uh, his story. Can you can you tell us anything about that that response well, well, from the Democrats? No, no. Well, I mean, I, I guess I expect it from the Democrats. We'll 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 look at all that. We'll we'll make sure. You know, Senator Grassley seems to think it's credible. Senator Grassley seems to think it should be made public, and the American people can sort of look at the, at themselves. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though. Just the Democrats telling us that, oh, we don't know if we can trust this guy. They sure trusted the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was a, the subsource of Dan Chinko, and none of that stuff was validated. None of that stuff was credible, and they trusted that for years. So yeah, we'll do the due diligence. We'll make sure that this is this is credible and that this is this is part of our investigation. It's why we move through this in a methodical way. I try never to get out in front of things and say things that we can't back up with facts and testimony that we think is valid and credible. Um, so we'll check all that out. And and I know uh, I know Chairman Comer, whose primary focus is that area, ours is primary in the Justice Department area and how they've handled this investigation. I know Chairman Comer will do the do, do that as well. You know, one would think that that's what should give you more credibility, the fact that you are not getting out in front of it, that you are making sure that the only things that you present are things that you can back up, and yet they are calling your credibility into question as well. In fact, you have become almost public enemy number two in the Republican Party after President Trump. You, you, you're unbound, though. You are, you are, you are, you are not being uh, uh, deterred in your course here. Um, how hard is that for you? Well, I mean, you face it too, Bob. You're out there. You're out there talking about what you see as the facts and the truth and laying it out in a compelling way, and you get attacked for it. Just part of this deal, unfortunately, today in America. It's sad because I liked what RFK said in, in the other hearing we had last week. 
where he talked about how Dennis Kucinich and I are friends, and I know you and I have talked about this. I think we may have lost when our... Dennis came and watched our boys... Dennis came and watched our boys compete, so uh, it's, it's unfortunate when you have that kind of just... Let's, let's, we can disagree on policy and stuff, but let's not just attack people. It's, it's sort of sad that... Uh, I thought it was great that RFK made that point in the... Uh, in the hearing last week. Yeah, I missed most of that point there. Your phone broke up on us. Oh, uh, but but I did hear it anyway, so I do know what you're talking about. In fact, uh, we can pivot to that briefly, but then I want to come back to the latest from uh, from uh, Chairman Comer from Oversight. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, in that committee uh, uh, hearing on, on I guess it would have been Thursday then, uh, on mm-hmm. censorship, uh, they, they tried to stop RFK from testifying altogether, and they're trying to suggest yeah. that statements he made that are very, very controversial regarding uh, COVID-19, the shots, and how they impacted people of various ethnicities. Um, you know, they, they decided that means he's not credible whatsoever to talk about censorship. When the reality is, the things he tried to present during COVID uh, were indeed censored, were shut down. He was number one on a, on a, on a lengthy list, yeah, I think, of people that they said we cannot allow to have unfettered access to presenting information to the American people we don't want them to have. How dangerous is that? It's frightening, and I thought he said it best. He said uh, censorship has never turned – the people who are involved in censoring others never turns out well for everyone. It always leads to totalitarianism. It always leads to tyranny. It's never a good thing to start down that road. And you can disagree. I disagree with things Robert F. Kennedy said. I, I disagree with things he said a week ago. But you don't stop people from talking. That, that, that's the beauty of the First Amendment is you have debate. And the idea that they try to kick him out of the hearing – is truly unbelievable. By the way, and their witness—I thought this was so interesting. Their witness was a former lawyer for the ACLU. I remember when the ACLU defended all kinds of disgusting speech, things that you and I would hate and dis- dislike and disagree with completely. But they defended it because it was consistent with the First Amendment. Uh, man, how far they have, uh, how far things have, have changed. So um, Friday, you and I spoke uh, earlier in the day. Later, apparently, Representative Comer, Chairman Comer, went on uh, Ted Cruz's podcast and revealed that there are more bank records. They have obtained more evidence Mm -hmm. on the Biden family finances. Obviously, I'm going back now to the first hearing. Uh, And they intend to trace a cash flow from Russia and Ukraine into the first family's coffers, which, of course, is alleged in that uh, FD-1023 form. What more do you know right now, or are you still in wait-and-see mode, about the new evidence they've uncovered yeah we're, we're in the latter but but again it doesn't surprise i don't think it surprises anyone um i do think it's interesting uh a reporter over the weekend made this comment that we're going to have to go go back and look at uh he, he recommended he said go back and look at the impeachment in 2019 when it was all the focus on ukraine and they were trying to get president trump go go beef up on all those those facts and we're going to do that in our office because it's so interesting how the Democrats always kind of come after Republicans for the things they're involved in. Remember, it was Biden going over there firing the prosecutor or saying, it's if you don't fire the prosecutor, you're not going to get the aid that was coming to Ukraine. And sure enough, they did. And that prosecutor was out, out to look into Burisma. So we're going to go back and look at that. But yeah, as far as, as, as what news come out in these, these suspicious activity reports, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and kind of evaluate all that. Last thing on this, Congressman Jim Jordan, um, Rep. Rep. Chairman Comer, also on that podcast, made a statement that made a lot of people kind of do a double take. Um, he's suggesting that not only has Joe Biden perhaps been involved in this bribery scheme that we're finding evidence of going back to his days as vice president, which, of course, is less than a decade. But he made a statement that said he believes that Joe Biden has been, quote, selling access to our enemies for decades which would, which yeah. would, of course, go back during to his time as Senator. as senator yeah. as senator, and and you know when when we hear things like this, 
I, I worry, and, and this is the reason I'm asking you about it, that people are saying, oh, my gosh, now they're just going to make stuff up. A lot of the things they tried to do with President Trump, I mean, you would think that with all of the things they've accused Trump of, that they could probably get him indicted for the Kennedy assassination. And, and, and it starts to lose its value in terms of the seriousness of it, because it sounds like we're reaching too far. Do you worry about a statement like that, or do you know anything about his statement? I, I, I don't know. Um, what, I, what, I, what I do know that we're going to focus on the issue committee is the 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 way this investigation was handled. Remember, in two days, Hunter Biden goes into the courtroom, and supposedly we'll, we'll, the judge will determine whether the plea agreement's a go or not a go. Um, we we want to look at how that all was handled. And, and, you know, as we talked about, I think, last week, on June 7th of this year, just last month, David Weiss wrote me and said, I got complete authority to charge when, when, uh, when where, and whether I want to file any charges to begin with. I have that complete authority. And then 23 days later, he wrote back and said, I stand by what I wrote, but I want to expand. I don't really have authority. I can only charge in my district. Now, which one is it? Which one is it? And then July 10th, he wrote to Senator Graham and said something even different. He said, to clarify, I haven't asked for special counsel status, but I've had discussions with the Justice Department. So it sounds to me like everything was a go and then something happened. And, and Merrick Garland and people at the Justice Department, maybe not Merrick Garland, but someone at the Justice Department told him, wait a minute, you're going to do it this way. That's a different animal, and that's, that, again, gets to this issue we've talked about now for so long, which is how politics is involved, is now being um, a part of the Justice Department decision-making process, and it's not supposed to be that way in the country. So we're going to focus on that. Do you expect, Congressman Jordan, that after the testimony of Agent Shapley and Agent Ziegler that the judge will accept the plea deal? I don't know. I, I go back and forth. M- my gut tells me the judge probably will. Because typically, you know, if the prosecutors and the defense counsel agree, judges are like, okay. But I don't know for sure. And, um, you know, I do think that, that Mr. Ziegler and Mr. Shapley were so compelling. Um, and, you know, because their credibility backed up by the FBI agent who was interviewed. Their, their, their story has just, just checked out. The fact that they memorialized things in a, in a contemporaneous uh, time frame uh, throughout the investigation I think their testimony is compelling, and if the judge looks at that, I think there's probably some some, some second thoughts. But we'll we'll just we'll know on Wednesday. You know, we're going to know in, in, in 48 hours. Can you tell us what's coming up this week in uh, judiciary and oversight? Yeah, Mr. Mayorkas is testifying, so we're we're, we're we'll be, uh, you know, a number of our members are going to ask him about this this ridiculous situation on the border, the number of terror number of people in the terrorist watch list who've got into our country, host of questions we have to ask. We just like to know the real the real numbers and not having just kind of you know meander all around and not really answer the questions uh much like some of the other witnesses we've had uh do so um that's on uh that that's later this week and and what, what about an oversight an oversight I know you're not in oversight but you're following and yeah. working closely with with chairman Comer. well i'm on the Comer. committee i'm just not the chair so uh I'll, I'll just have to see what i haven't looked at the schedule that closely because i've been trying to get ready for mr my Right. Yeah, you're on the committee. Correct. That's what I mean. You're not running that committee, though. You are running, yeah. obviously, uh, Judiciary and uh, Weaponization Subcommittee. Um, can you tell me, when you talk to Alejandro, Alejandro Mayorkas, can you please ask or have somebody ask about the buoy? The buoy wall in the middle of the Rio Grande is something that Texas decided to do. To tr- yeah. you know, they, they got to protect their own people. they got to protect their own towns, their own communities from the, the unchecked you know, flow of drugs and, 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 and terrorists and, and ga- uh, gang members and cartel members. And- yeah human traffickers and everything else. So w- they won't let President Trump's wall be built, so they put a buoy wall in the yeah. middle of the uh, in the middle of the Rio yeah. Grande to try to deter border crossers and river crossers. And from what I saw just like Friday, 
the DOJ plans to sue the state of Texas to make them take that Jay. down. Jay. Is that accurate? It wouldn't surprise me. Not to, but on to the point now, and I'm sure you are as well, where there is there is no action this, this administration tra- that takes that's surprising me now because they've done so many ridiculous, crazy things. And in my judgment, I haven't seen them do one thing right. I really haven't. And now they're out there trying to tell us that <laughs> Bidenomics is working. you got to be kidding me. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they're trying to do that to Texas. But God bless Texas uh, for, for for defending their, their citizens there. So, um well, yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, ninety according to a, a recent survey, ninety four percent of Americans agree and admit there is a problem at the border. And as to Bidenomics, thirty seven percent approval rating for Joe Biden, fifty eight percent disapprove of his handling of the economy. He's bragging every month about look at the unemployment rate, look at the uh, jobs created, and and that's fine. I'm glad we have a low unemployment rate, and, and I'm glad there are jobs being created. But I also know the reality of why things are the way they are, and it's because and yeah. particularly the inflation. Well, look Look at inflation is is uh, is you know declined its growth in for twelve consecutive months. Well, you jacked it up to nine and a half percent for crying out loud. You don't get credit. Right. You don't get credit for dropping something that you artificially increased because of your decisions on energy. Yeah, no kidding. It's uh... Congressman, every you area. I apologize. Yeah, I'm broke up again. There, try that again. Yeah, yeah. No, every policy area you could just go down through, and it's been a been a disaster energy the border the inflation the overall economy foreign policy um you, and and then a politicized uh, doj just just never stops so um we just got to keep doing our job one. pointing out the facts yeah, that's the most dangerous one, the politicization of the DOJ. Yeah. We're all looking for, we talk to you about this every week, looking for accountability. Well, who's going to hold these people accountable if the DOJ, which is the top, you know, law enforcement agency in the country, is not going to hold people accountable? Then we look for, you know, the legislative solutions. And uh, obviously yeah. that's where you come in because we're all very, very frustrated by that. Congressman Jordan, uh, I know you got a busy week in front of you. Thank you, sir, for the time. As always, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks Bob. Sir. Take care. Jim Jordan, uh, chairman of the Judiciary, he's on the Oversight Committee. Obviously, it's James Comer's place, though. That's his spot. And he has said that there is more evidence that Biden has been taking bribes, selling access, quote, selling access to our enemies for decades. That's large. We'll see what happens there uh, uh, this week and see what kind of evidence they're able to produce at Wednesday's Oversight Committee hearing. All right, that's a uh, quick time out now at 9.51. We welcome you at 216-901-0945, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. seen the video or the um, still photos of the buoy barrier in the Rio Grande? I'm looking at one right now, and uh, maybe I'll tweet it out. Follow me on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, Rants, R-A-N-T-S, or T-Z, excuse me. And then uh, I'm also on Twitter. I've reactivated, or excuse me, Facebook. I've reactivated my Facebook page, Always Right Radio. Look for Always Right Radio on Facebook. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a wall. It's just that it's in the middle of the river, and it's made out of buoys, and it basically is gonna it's gonna make it a lot more difficult to border for border crossers from one country to cross that river, which is part of the border, into another country without permission, which is what there should be. Barriers, borders, they matter, and the Biden administration is gonna sue Texas for building it. 
The Biden administration has asked Texas to remove barriers on the Rio Grande River that law enforcement officials had put in place to stop illegal crossings. The Department of Justice has sued Texas since when Texas declined over humanitarian concerns, saying if it does not remove the barriers which were first put in place earlier this month, uh, they will sue them to get uh, to get those removed. Quote from the DOJ. The floating barrier poses a risk to navigation. Let me pause there and say, exactly. What the hell do you think the point is? It's hard to navigate either to go over the top of, around, or underneath a bunch of buoys in a row in a river. It's supposed to pose a risk of na- to navigation. It's supposed to make people not go into the river and try to cross over into our country in the first place. That's the point. DOJ writes, the floating barrier poses a risk to navigation as well as public safety in the Rio Grande River. Um, the DOJ says it was unlawful for Texas to install the barriers. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas said, Bring it. I'll see you in court. Texas has the sovereign authority to defend our border under the U.S. Constitution and the Texas Constitution. We have sent the Biden administration numerous letters detailing our authority, including the one I hand-delivered to President Biden earlier this year. Well done, Governor Abbott. The tragic humanitarian case, a crisis, on the border was created because of Biden's refusal to secure the border. His open border policies encourage migrants to risk their lives crossing illegally through the Rio Grande instead of safely and legally over a bridge. Texas is stepping up to help the crisis. We are continuing to deploy every strategy we can to protect Texans and Americans and to stop the migrants from risking their lives. The buoy barriers are four-foot orange spherical buoys they spin if somebody tries to grab onto them so you can't climb over them. And uh, so presumably they're weighted down by enough things underneath that stop people from swimming underneath. The uh, effort is part of the state's Operation Lone Star, which aims to combat the catastrophe unleashed on the state by President Biden's immigration policies. It's a phenomenal idea. It's just a small part of it, but it's a huge idea. And the Biden administration and the Democrats hate it so much that it might actually stop more illegal aliens from coming in. They're suing to stop it. I hope Mayorkas, when he gets in front of that Judiciary Committee on Wednesday, is grilled about this and so much more. Okay, coming up on 10 o'clock for news. On the other side, we're going to go down to Cincinnati. A horrific attack on a police officer. What is going on with policing in the state of Ohio? We're going to talk to FOP president down there, uh, Dan Hills. That'll be coming up next on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Eight minutes past 10 o'clock, hour number two is underway on this Monday, the 24th morning of the seventh month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Appreciate you being with us this morning. CPO 9 News, I'm Brett Boganski. We have new information tonight about the Cincinnati police officer attack this morning at Sawyer Point Park. WCPO 9 News reporter Taylor Nimmo live in studio. And Taylor, you found out about Officer McGuffey's condition. 
Yeah, Brett, Officer McGuffey is being treated at UC Medical Center. We're told his injuries are serious, but thankfully he is going to survive. And tonight we're learning new information about the suspect. Court documents state Brandon Claiborne knowingly caused serious physical harm to a Cincinnati police officer. Multiple law enforcement sources tell WCPO 9 News the officer assaulted was Terry McGuffey, a 33-year veteran of the department. He used to work in homicide and is also a Navy veteran. Officials say Officer McGuffey was responding to reports of a man exposing himself at Sawyer Point Park. Fraternal Order Police President Dan Hills said a man attacked him immediately. This, this monster rushed the policeman, tackled him, got him down, took his, uh, his ass, that's his, uh, his baton, and started striking with that. Matt. That is one of the more grotesque and horrific attacks on a police officer, especially completely unprovoked, that I've seen in a very, very, very long time. I heard about this story yesterday morning, and I instantly reached out to Gary Wolski, who is the president of the Ohio FOP, and I asked to be put in touch with a gentleman who joins us now to find out what in the hell is going on in policing, what in the hell is going to stop this this extraordinary spate of violence being committed against police officers by by suspects emboldened by some of the uh, decisions that are made in terms of the prosecution of violent criminals in our state and in our country today. Dan Hills is that man. He is the president of the FOP down in Cincinnati. He joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Dan, thank you for the time this morning. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well, Bob, and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, sir. Well, I've got a lot of questions for you about policing in general, but most importantly, can you tell us the current condition this morning of Officer McGuffey? Yeah, I just actually uh, had a little discussion with his wife. He ended up spending the night in the in the ER. Um, I think I think some insurance reasons, rather than him being admitted, they just ended up keeping him in the ER. Uh, if he was unemployed or something, I'm sure he could have been admitted, but. Uh, with with the insurance the way it's set up, they just thought it'd be easier just to keep him in the ER. We're a little worried about his right eye. Um, you know, the details of this uh, attack are still coming out. I might not have it all in chronological order, but you know, he uh, he was uh, the bad guy, this Claiborne dude. He was uh, seen shadow boxing and then exposing himself and blocking. The pathway of people walking in this neat little uh, area that uh, Cincinnati's built up down by its riverfront. Uh, they got pickleball courts there and stuff, and it's called Sawyer Point. So uh, Officer McGuffey responded to this call, uh, encountered this individual, and as soon as this guy encountered him, he tackled, uh, just bull rushed Officer McGuffey. Uh, this 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 thug, this monster is like six five, six six. I think he's listed 270 in one report. I've seen another one 300 pounds. Anyway, he take he took uh, he took my friend Terry down. He's got a few years on him. I do have to admit, and uh, and and was able to pull his baton from him and started beating him ferociously about the head and the face. And uh, at that time, he pulled his taser, and we found out now from talking to the detectives who interviewed him that he told the detectives that uh, he thought that was a gun. And he was going to kill um, Officer McGuffey. He chose to kill Officer McGuffey because he said he wanted to kill a white police officer. And he uh, squeezed the trigger of the taser, expecting to blow 
Oscar McGuffey's head off and instead uh, tased him, ended up tasing him several times. Uh, you know, Terry relayed to me in the hospital yesterday that he knew that that uh, monster wanted to kill him and he thought uh, he was going to get what he wanted. Terry thought he was going to die. Um, so when the baton didn't kill Oscar McGuffey as he curled up and protected his head and he couldn't get to his gun, he said he would have feared losing his gun to this guy in his close quarters combat. He couldn't get to his gun. Uh, and then the tasing didn't work to uh, do what he thought it was going to do. I think he was lying on his gun side protecting his gun. Uh, he then started to take his thumbs and, and try to press them into his eye sockets and gouge Terry's eyes out. Um, he was going to hes going to rip him apart using brute force to, to, to do what his desire was, which was to kill a a policeman, and as in his words, to kill a white policeman. Uh, is, another uh, officer that... arrived on scene, and uh, he he stopped. I, you know, my bet is he knew that uh, uh, deadly force would going to be used upon him if he continued this assault upon the uh, other officer. Was pulling up on, I think, a, a Segway, one of those little two two wheeled carts that we use uh, in our downtown area to, for the, the officers to get around in certain areas, like like this park. And, uh, and so he laid down and, and, uh, submitted to arrest immediately. Uh, if, if the second officer arrived on scene 30 seconds later, I think since that'd be bearing a police officer this week. We are talking with, uh, Dan Hills. He is the FOP president down in Cincinnati that, uh, everything you just described was grotesque. Um, I, I've learned some of those details prior to our conversation here, but to hear them all laid out one after the other is just simply, um, it's, it's a repugnant thought. Um, first of all, the, the suspect in the case, 34 years old, and as you said, six foot five, 270 to 300 pounds. Officer McGuffey is a, what, 60, 66 year old man, I think, uh, is what I saw. Yeah, I know he's in his mid 50s somewhere. Uh, Terry's roughly my size, uh, without as big a beer belly. Uh, so I would, I would call him an average size, uh, fellow, five, eight, five, nine. You know, maybe, so maybe he never he's had a chance. Yeah. So he, he never had a no, chance. No, he never had a chance. You know, uh, I think ambush is a proper word here, even though Officer McGuffey was responding on what we call in Cincinnati radio calls. Other people in different parts of the country might call it a dispatch. He's, he's responding on a radio call, and, yeah, you, you, you have uh, a certain amount of caution you take with each and every individual you come into. In downtown Cincinnati, and I'm sure downtown Cleveland is the same, we have a certain – street population they might be homeless at times they might be in and out of you know the drop-in centers or the care centers or whatever but they they kind of live day to day and uh and also sometimes they find themselves residing in in the local uh justice center because he's been arrested before his, his record wasn't as extensive as i expected but it was it was there and one officer had texted me and told me that he had to fight him and tase him uh, so at some point, what, I think early there, in the year. Was there? I, I read part of the report too. Was there something unusual uh, about the appearance of this uh, this six? Yeah, five, he had on some pound pink pound. or purple hair. My initial uh, information was that he was wearing women's clothing. I don't know if that was true. I think he just wears like uh, what what you or I um, would probably call a woman's wig. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, what his reasoning behind that is. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what this guy's 
mental status. So we've got a very or, large. So we've got a la- very large black man wearing an odd colored wig, doing shadow boxing on a street in a in a in a in a relatively what I would assume to be a safe part of town. Sawyer Sawyer Point, yes. Yeah, yeah Sawyer Point. A, it's a very peaceful little park. It's a place where people go and play pickleball and mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. It's uh it's near a part that uh, there's a, there's a large expressway bridge, 471, and underneath that bridge, the city's done a pretty fine job of mm-hmm. of making the area one that you would want to visit. There's a, a walkway with historical information on plaques and things of that nature. So it's so when it's we the say type he of place was... where Bob, you would take your family and and want to walk around sure. if you wanted to see Cincinnati. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like a really time. nice place to be. Yeah, which is of course why yeah. I'm sure people called. The police when he shot when you say shadow boxing is he like kind of going up to people and pretending to punch them or just yeah well actual... yeah I think you're nailing it on the head there sure because uh, part of the information was that he was not letting others pass the the right. pathways this wasn't like on a on a street this is more path, pathways that are made you know a little blacktop uh, pathway that you know maybe it's six feet across or something like that that makes nice walking for families uh, somebody pushing a stroller. Or, Pushing an older relative in a wheelchair or whatever—it's a—it's an again—it's a nice place that's meant for family, meant for fun. You know, some place you'd want to walk uh, hand in hand with your girlfriend or your wife mm-hmm. or something of that nature. Not a place where you expect to encounter uh, a great big monster uh, exposing himself and and that there, there's the second part. Yeah, you, you, the, the the callers who called the police uh, and and made this radio call necessary. This uh, this visit by Officer McGuffey said he was exposing himself. Is I mean, you know, in in the uh, years gone by, you'd think of a flasher as opening up a trench coat and exposing themselves. What was this guy wearing, and how was he exposing himself to the... Uh, yeah, I don't know his were... exact... Uh, I do not know his exact clothing. My assumption is he's exposing his genitals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what is... Uh, is meant when that so radio run so comes in. Somebody's to hit people. Him. He's pretending to hit people. He's exposing himself. Clearly, he wants somebody to call the police because of what you said at the very beginning. Uh, and we're talking to FOP president in Cincinnati, Dan Hills. Um, you said that he said he wanted to kill him, a white police officer. Was this something that Officer McGuffey heard him say, or was this something he said after he was taken under arrest? No, this is something he said afterwards because of the severity of uh, Officer McGuffey's injuries. You know, we didn't know whether or not uh, he might start with a brain bleed or something when you've been hit with a baton a number of times in the head. We were worried about Terry's life, and he was injured severely. So we uh, called in. They called in. The officers in, in charge down the scene called in our uh, homicide unit, our criminal investigation section. And when that happens, uh, they do full and professional interviews of uh, the suspects in a case like this. So during his interview, he said that he wanted to kill a white policeman, he said the reason he actually stopped the assault is because the second policeman arrived on scene, he thought was uh, a black police officer. That's not really the case. I don't believe he's actually telling the truth. I think he realized that he was about ready to get shot, to be frank. Um, and, and so that's why he stopped the assault. Um, he knew that he had, he had Terry, he had Officer McGuffey, uh, in a defenseless position, and he was going to continue that assault until Officer McGuffey was dead. Yeah. But uh, I think he realized he was about to be dead if he kept doing what he was doing, so he well, stopped. Um, I'm, I'm trying powered, to figure something you know, out. Dan, Dan, I'm trying to figure something out, and I'm going to ask you a question that you may choose not to answer. Um, 
But it, it would seem to me that this was a murder in progress. I agree with you. He was going to beat him to death, gouge his eyes out, and so forth. This is what the intention was. In, in, a, in, a, in an attempted murder situation, a literal lethal assault on someone, I can't figure out how the responding officer who showed up didn't shoot him immediately. Would he, and again, you can choose not to answer this, would there, oh, no, have, been no, justification, the would, would there have been justification for the officer who showed up and saw the attack in progress to shoot him immediately? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to do with what he saw as the approach and as he came up and what he had as time-wise. He's, he's on this two-wheel cart, and he's rushing up there and shouting orders as he's coming up there uh, to be able to fire into two people entangled like that. Um, yeah, the deadly force is, is, is very much authorized, and, mm-hmm. and I would think that the officer would have used deadly force if the attack would have continued, but I think he would wanted to do it from, you know, three to five feet max, so he doesn't uh, risk uh, hurting Officer McGuffey. Of but as he approached and got to that distance, that's when, uh, and he was shouting orders beforehand, you know, screaming at the guy as he comes wheeling up there. That's when uh, that's when this monster uh, basically jumped off of Terry and jumped onto the jumped onto the ground, and 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 I think he even put his hands behind his back, so he knew what was coming. Right, and he, uh, you know, he. Well, you he said he has the, a record he's uh, been arrested plan. before, right? So, so, so yeah, yeah. So he knew. I think he saw he saw an ambush opportunity, if you would, um, with Officer McGuffey, size wise, isolation wise. Saw that there was no other policeman nearby, and uh, and 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 took. It sounds like he uh, set up the, the ambush uh, opportunity. It sounds like yeah, you know, with the all the bizarre opportunity, behavior. I hate saying the word. Uh, opportunity but yeah he took the ambush opportunity and 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 knocked this uh fine gentleman who you know he's look bob he uh you know this is this was really a hard day uh for a whole bunch of people in cincinnati because of how well terry's loved he's a husband he's a father he's a grandfather he's the neatest guy who's planning on retiring in september he's had a couple little health bumps and uh he you know he'd considered leaving early he's been eligible for a long time to retire but he, he's like, I don't want to leave my, you know, I don't want to leave my brothers and sisters alone in that section that he works downtown. We're way, way shorthanded. I know you're shorthanded with police officers up in Cleveland, as well as uh, less and less people are willing to take the abuse of, of being a police officer, the abuse that comes from uh, thugs like this and people that are thugs in uh, three-piece suits that say nice things in moments, but they don't cops you know who i'm talking about politicians and i do i do and, Dan, types, I, want to, yes. I want to ask you one more question before we're done here sure. and this is a more general one because i am of the opinion as i've watched and, and interacted with a lot of police officers through the years and i do i think i told you i do a tv show about law enforcement and uh and, tr- and true crime stories and such we all know what the ferguson effect is we all know that police officers are far, far more hesitant to become aggressive, and I don't mean physically necessarily, but just authoritative on the scenes anymore because they yes, are sir. then charged with and accused of 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 being bullies and, and using excessive force, and rather than de-escalating situations, escalating them and promoting violence. I feel like an officer who... Ten years ago, would have rolled up on on this Brandon Claiborne character would would have probably been a lot more uh, or perhaps a lot less likely 
to to be taken by surprise on a bull rush like that because they would have come up with authority and now it seems like officers are forced to come up almost on their heels because they're not allowed to uh they're not allowed to be cops anymore they're not allowed to be aggressive in in protecting and serving the public anymore how do you feel about that overall change and that shift in the way cops have to approach suspects now Dan, Dan, unfortunately, your phone just got Dan. Your phone just got very uh, staticky and interrupted. Can you try? Can you hear me now? Yeah, try it again. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think there's politicians who are actively trying to, uh, you know, bring down the country by by uh, keeping law and order at bay and 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 allowing people like uh, this Claiborne character to, to to run the streets instead of the cops. Yeah, I think that's very. Uh, I'm sorry, your phone cut out again, so I thought you had stopped talking, but I think we just have a bad No, 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 I did stop talking. I was just making sure you're still with me. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. So you, you go, go ahead and finish your thought there about what politicians are trying no, to do. It, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm a political guy. I, I, I can't hide it. I, I, I feel that there's a, a movement from the left to, uh, to, to cause anarchy and disruption. And, and so, yeah, they constantly paint law enforcement in a, in a bad light. They use the 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 handful of uh you know ugly things that are are seen on video out of the millions and millions of citizen police contacts that happen across the country every year mm-hmm. and they use those over and over and over again as propaganda to have people lose faith in police and have bent people like uh this dude uh actually you know foments more and more hate towards cops so this is this is what you get this is the end prize this is what you get when you go out there and you use and you use uh police community relations in a negative way to uh, get power re- retain power this is this is what you get you get more and more people that are hateful of police yeah no question about it and they're, and they're more emboldened to act on that hatred as well and that's uh that's of course the problem here so he was beaten about the head multiple times by a baton he was tased multiple times he tried to gouge out his eyes terry mcguffey is lucky to be alive now we'll see exactly what the criminal justice system does with this brandon claiborne uh and to see if mental health issues or anything else are used to try to uh uh, uh detract from his of criminal liability in this entire thing. So uh, we'll probably be checking in again, Dan. uh, Please give our best from up here in Northeast Ohio to Officer McGuffey and his family and friends down there. Know that he's in our prayers. Thank you for coming on and sharing the story with us, and uh, we'll check back with you soon. It's been my pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dan. Uh, That's Dan Hills, FOP president down there in Cincinnati. That's just a horrific, horrific crime. And I would submit to you, again, if, t- if this was 10 years ago, cops would have come up to this guy and been much, much more aggressive to make sure that he knew it's a bad idea for you to be charging us. Cops can't even put their hand near their side now as if they might draw their firearm, particularly on, uh, you know, let's just be honest, unarmed black males. Everybody seems to assume that if they're not armed, then you can't do anything to use force on them. Well, here is an example of somebody who wasn't armed, but who uh, armed himself by attacking a police officer, taking some of his uh, tactical tools, including the baton and the taser from him. Probably, if he could have gotten the gun from him, would have done that too. 
It's a very dangerous time we're living in right now. If we can't have our law enforcement officers be able to protect themselves against this type of an attack. It's 1028. Uh, we've got uh, open uh, phone opportunities for you between now and the top of the hour. We're going to talk to Mark Paquita then. But uh, now's the time. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Right here on Ozway Radio. In the age of unreason, always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, it's 1037. Thanks for being with us on this Monday edition. I uh, appreciate uh, Dan Sills, uh, former uh, retired officer, but now president of the FOP down there in Cincinnati. Uh, uh, Really, uh, really appreciate us coming on to share that terrible story with us. I feel like cops are just targets now more than they've ever been before, in large part because they're not allowed to be non-targets. You know what I mean? If that officer, 66 years old, who would have been completely justified in doing so, by the way, especially once he saw the size of the individual he was responding to, if that officer uh, so much as walked up to him with his hand on his gun, not even drawn, but his hand on his gun, he would have been accused of exacerbating the problem, of escalating the situation. They show up now with their hands at their side or out in front of them and just, you know, hey, buddy, how you doing? You feeling okay? Yeah, I heard some reports that you're having a little hard time here today and all of this stuff. And then it lets a nut like this giant... W- uh, intentional murderer, because that's what it was. This is intended murder, or attempted murder, I guess. Um, you know, attacking him in such a way there was no way he had a chance to respond. Uh, the officer had a chance to respond if he because he has to go in so so soft and 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 de-escalation and and all this other crap. I remember a time when it wasn't that long ago when police officers were not, uh, you know, there to be nursemaids and and guidance counselors and 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 psychologists. They were there to enforce the law. And if it's if somebody is not letting people by, if somebody is pretending to punch them, aka shadow boxing, if somebody, particularly somebody that size, <clears throat> when they get there to see them. Is uh, is exposing himself to people, you know. I, I remember a time when police officers would have come up to them immediately, again, hand near weapon, if not on, giving orders. You over here, right now, on the ground, or or you over here, away from the other people, with a safe distance, by the way, between them, and and giving harsh, direct, authoritative, aggressive commands to ferret out the situation and decide if this person was going to have to be arrested. And if they were, and probably with indecent exposure and threatening and menacing people, they would have been for disturbing the peace or any number of other uh, uh, law or, uh, uh, crimes or criminal violations. And they probably would have been forced to their knees and on their, on their, on their bellies and, and, and being placed into cuffs and taken under arrest. But instead, they got to go up with all of this, you know, this genteel nature. And we don't want this person to feel like they're being, you know, profiled or targeted or singled out or anything else by police officers, particularly, particularly if they're black. Because that's the narrative. That's the, that's the Ferguson effect. 
And that's the narrative. Cops don't even want to have to address these situations. And if they do, they've got to be so careful so they're not accused of being the, uh, uh, the instigator of the situation. It's just brutal. And now you get cops either being shot in ambush-style things, or in this case, it sounded like it was an ambush from the beginning. Or in this, in this case, being beaten nearly to death. Just, uh, I, I'm going to interview Dan Sills again. I'm going to be digging into the story more on my TV program. Again, it's on True Blue uh, Factual Streaming Network. Go to watchtrueblue.com. Look for True Blue today. That's my program. We're two seasons in now and, uh, and still going strong. We'll have a lot more true crime stories to talk about there. Let's go to uh, the phones, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're going to start in uh, University Heights. Phil, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, the, um, this campaign against Ohio it, it, on the um, abortion issue, to make Ohio an example, in the fall, you know, as we you've discussed and I've discussed, is uh, starts with the legislature trying to raise the um, restrictions on um, amendments to the Constitution and right. making the vote simply sixty votes instead of sixty percent, rather than just one over fifty percent, and which is reasonable. And the propaganda that is going to be on on unfurled against us in November, I know is going to be enormous. It's just going to be unbelievable because they've already unfurled it against this issue. Um, they're already uh, trying to portray themselves as pro-democracy advocates and uh, therefore don't raise the, uh, the uh, requirement for the amendments from 50% to 60%, and um, they make the, uh, their ads sound like it's a strong you know, pro uh, democracy person, and in fact, there's even ads on, that they placed on on this on your station uh, to try and make it to confuse the issue. It's not pro democracy to um, have 50 percent to make a uh, uh, a ballot initiative pass to change the constitution. The constitution is supposed to be something that lasts more than um, just by majority vote, that it's something of consequence and and significance. And Ohio is a a very fine place to live. Believe me, I lived other places. It's a decent place to live with decent people who have religious values and conservative values, and they're playing on that, and they're trying to confuse the issue. It should be yes on issue one. Uh, We are going to try and safeguard the, the constitution of the state and not let people come in from out of state and spend billions of dollars uh, trying to uh, uh, put us in a, a situation of having to uh, uh, put up with abortion laws that um, are just not tenable. They're just not part of the culture here. Well, so that's my comment. It's more than just yeah, and thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. Good call and good points all the way around. Um, two things. Yes, Ohio is a great place to live. Two things. Um, it's 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 not just abortion. The language is incredibly vague for a reason because they are targeting uh, youth with the transing of America. This is not unique to to Ohio either. This is something they are trying to do in a lot of other states as well. And again, that's how we know this is an out of state movement. It is not. An Ohio-centric movement. This is something that is being pushed by radical extremist organizations outside of the state of Ohio. And this is something they're trying to do nationwide. So do not think that this is some sort of a an Ohio-centric uh, uh, measure that they're pushing in November. 
As for the propaganda, and uh, you know, people have asked me too about the no on issue one ads that are running on this radio station. I want you to understand the law. By law, if we are accepting advertisements from one side of a political issue like issue one, and there are ads that have been bought uh, in favor of issue one, as you know, by law, we have to accept if someone is willing to buy the ads. It's not like these are PSAs. If somebody's willing to buy, we have to sell them the ad time to uh, to air their views on the opposite side. That's just the law. That's not something we can do to control. That's not something we can uh, we can change. Uh, if if we're going to accept money from yes on issue one, then we have to accept money from no on issue one as well. My goal as a talk show host is to make sure you know the difference. And to make sure you're not confused, I have friends that I consider to be intelligent people. In fact, I don't consider them to be. I know they're intelligent people who have reached out to me and said, Bob, what am I supposed to do on number one? I'm confused on issue one. <clears throat> and I said, that's their job. Their job is to confuse you. And so I'm trying to, if you hear a yes on issue one ad on this station, you hear a no issue one ad, I want you to just remember the things that I'm telling you. Okay, if you want to protect Ohio's Constitution from changes by extremist radical groups supported by Democrat Socialists of America, supported by Revolutionary Communist Party of America, supported by Planned Parenthood, supported by Black Lives Matter, the worst grifters and racists, I think, that are in this country today, you know, these organizations, if you want to back those people, then go ahead and vote no. If you want to support Ohio's Constitution and protect Ohio's Constitution from those people, then you vote yes on issue one. It's just that simple. You vote yes now when you go to your board of elections. Yes, if you fill out an absentee ballot. Yes, if you uh, vote in in person on election day. However, However it is that you do it, you vote yes. And their propaganda campaign is strong. They are very, very, very well funded, and they are out there with ads, with social media influencers, radio and television, virtually everywhere you look. The no on issue one. And oh, by the way, they're also fighting very, very dirty. I should probably point this out before I go to the next call. I got a tweet, or I was made aware of a tweet, or somebody shared it to me. It showed up in my feed somehow, some way. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Um, This was... um, I want to say it was in Delaware County where somebody's ring camera or, you know, doorbell camera or some other video camera caught these left-wing extremist radicals ripping up yard signs, yes on issue one yard signs, and literally taking them out of the ground, throwing them in the back of their cars and replacing them with no on issue one yard signs. There are videos, there are still photographs, I'm looking at another one. This was also Delaware County where someone took black paint and painted the no symbol, you know, the circle with the slash through it, uh, over a red yes on issue one sign. Um, This is what they do, and this is what I'm trying to make people understand. These are the people that you're, 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 you're battling. Not only... Do they fight very hard for extremism and radicalism like abortion up until the moment of birth and and transing of children with barbaric, life-altering, bodily mutilating procedures? Not only are they fighting that way, they're also fighting dirty. By not let, by, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, I don't see enough support for issue one. How come I don't see a lot of yes signs? Well, a lot of them are being stolen, defaced, burned, whatever. 
They fight and they fight dirty. And this is the kind of people we're up against. And if that doesn't steal your resolve to make you want to go out there and defeat them, I don't know what will. I mean, obviously, just the, the nature of the, the beast here is protecting our, our Constitution. And then, specifically, the first test of that would be in November when they get this um, <clears throat> ballot initiative to to codify abortion and uh, enshrine it into Ohio law, along with uh, trans procedures and sex changes for children, for crying out loud. I mean, all of these things are literally right in front of us. If nothing steals your resolve now, I don't know what you're waiting for. Uh, Jack is in Chicago. Oh, it's Jack Boyle. Jack Boyle. We I just heard from Jack a few days ago. Welcome back to the program, Jack Boyle. How are you, sir? I'm good, Bob. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I, you know, I wanted to make one quick call. You've been really helpful and, uh, we appreciate it, uh, talking about this, uh, this event we're having this evening, the pastors, priests, and, and, uh, people summit. And, uh, but uh, specifically I'm calling this morning because we learned over the weekend that, uh, uh, you know, Robert Sprague, our, our treasurer, is the headliner of this, right. but that we, we're going to be joined by Representative, uh, State Representative Josh Williams from the Toledo area. And uh, That's Josh, of course, was one of the heroes of the fight that, uh, unfortunately, the unsuccessful fight uh, in last uh, January that uh, we tried to uh, stop the uh, 22 rogue Republicans from joining the Democrats that organized Ohio's House. But uh, Josh was one of the uh, key people in that fight, and uh, I don't know that we've had really an opportunity over in the Cleveland area here to meet him before. I can't wait to meet him. So I'm really, I'm I'm doubly excited. I was already excited about this event, but I'm doubly excited now because uh, Rep. Williams will be there. So that is fantastic. Thought I'd let you know. You're right. Yeah, most people in Northeast Ohio probably have not because he's a, uh, you know, he represents Northwest Ohio, Toledo area, Lucas County area. So it'll be, it's great that he's coming here uh, for this event tonight. I, I interviewed him, not about this, we were talking about his uh uh, House Bill 245, uh, back on the Gorka show, I want to say on Wednesday or Thursday that I spoke with him, but he's a tremendous speaker. He's dynamic and he's, uh, he strikes every chord, I think, properly. I think the, the folks who attend tonight in Eastlake are going to be in for a treat. I agree. I agree. So, so just again, to 7 o'clock at the Croatian Lodge there tonight. You go. There, there you go. You beat me to it. I was going to remind everybody where and what time tonight, but go ahead. So it's at the Croatian Lodge in Eastlake at 7 o'clock tonight. It's the Pastor, Priests, and People Summit, uh, supporting Issue 1. Treasurer Robert Sprague is going to be speaking, as well as, uh, you just heard it, uh, State Representative uh, Josh Williams from uh, Toledo is going to be there on hand as well. So uh, I'm so glad you guys are doing this. I know that the uh, energy and the excitement and the motivation is up, up, up uh, to support Issue 1 and to pass this thing, Jack. So thanks so much for your leadership and that effort. Well, thank and thank you for your help and your leadership for all you do, Bob. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Uh, it's about doing what's right, right? Isn't that, isn't that the kind of what this is all about? Nobody, nobody that I know that's working hard on this is doing it for kudos. They're doing it because this is what's right, and they're doing it uh, to save Ohio's Constitution today and then quite literally in November to save lives. I hope people understand that. I wrote a letter yesterday. To uh, and I think it's going out today to uh, Citizens for Free Speech Ohio members. If you're a CFFS Ohio member, then obviously you know what we're all about. <clears throat> and if you're not a member yet, you really should be. Citizensforfreespeech.org is where you should go to become a member. But I sent a letter to all of our members, uh, just kind of you know informing and trying to clear up some of the confusion 
because I still have people saying, wait a minute, am I for issue one or am I against issue one? I don't want abortion to be, you know, uh, in the U.S. Constitution, so am I supposed to be voting no here? I'm like, oh, that's not how this works. No, that is the ballot issue in uh, November that you want to vote no on because that's the one that would put abortion into it. It's very, I know it, I get it, it's very confusing. That's why I wrote the letter to say, please understand, you want to vote yes now, yes for the August 8th election, because that will change the threshold to, to, change, to amend the Constitution from 50% to 60%. It will also require all of Ohio to have a role in putting this on a ballot, to putting any amendment on a ballot. Right now... Only 44 counties have to uh, submit signatures to get an, a ballot initiative on the ballot. This this bill on issue one, or this uh, issue, I should say, this uh, amendment on issue one, would require 88 counties, which is exactly how many counties we have. Every county ought to be able to contribute 5% of their voters. 5% is nothing. That means 95% can, can disagree. But 5% at least counts your county toward the uh, getting a, a ballot initiative on the ballot. 5% is not that much from 88 counties. If you can't get 5% of the people in all counties to say, yeah, I want to have this vote, remember, they wouldn't be voting yes on it. That's not what signing a petition would be. It would just be to have the election, to have the referendum hit the ballot. If you can't get 5% of every county to do that, then it's obviously not something widely supported in the state of Ohio, and therefore it should not be an amendment. It should not change the Constitution, which is a forever document. I hope people understand that. That's why I wrote the letter. If you're a member of CFFS Ohio, you should be receiving it shortly. And, uh, and I'll continue to try to clear up the confusion every day until August 8th. And obviously after that, depending on what happens, we'll have a new fight on our hands. It's 1054. We'll take a time out and come right back on Always Right Radio. Sally in Berea, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, Sally. Hi, Bob. Regarding the confusion, there's an um, organization called One Person, One Vote, and they've twisted a lot of what we're arguing for, that special interests shouldn't have more control. They're saying the opposite, and they also say that destroying... That issue, a no on issue one would destroy majority rule, letting 40% of voters make decisions for the rest of us. And they're failing to say that we actually have more control. We're asking for a super majority, not just a straight limited majority. So they're just trying to promote the um, confusion with this mass mailing that they mailed out. Well, confusion is exactly what they're trying to sow here. It's the only chance they have of winning. And thank you, Sally, for the call. You want to know who one one person, one vote is? I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. One person, one vote is a product of the Fairness Project. The Fairness Project is an organization, a Democrat uh, left-wing organization, uh, that is not based in Ohio. As a matter of fact, the team leaders of the Fairness Project pushing one person, one vote on Ohio, they live in Florida. Washington, D.C., Pennsylvania, California, New York, Texas, and Virginia. And this is according to their website. This is not an Ohio-based or Ohio-driven movement. This no on issue one with the interest of protecting Ohioans or Ohio Constitution. This is radical outside leftism 
on steroid, steroids trying to go into states like Ohio and change their constitutions because it helps their national campaigns, their national efforts to push and promote radical extremism. This is just the reality of it. You want to support Marxists, socialists, and communists, all of whom are actually active endorsers, endorsers against issue one? Then vote no. Go ahead. You like Marxists, Democrats, or excuse me, well, they're kind of the same. If you like uh, Marxists, Democrats, Socialists, Communists, and so forth, fine. Go ahead and oppose issue one. If you would rather support liberty, freedom, and protect the Ohio Constitution, something that impacts all of us, then you vote yes on issue one. Mark Pukita is a former Senate candidate. He's going to join me after the top of the hour break here, and we're going to talk more about this. He's done a lot of very important homework you'll need to learn. Coming up next, stay here on Always Right This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three now, underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It's Monday, 24th morning of the seventh month, the year of our Lord, 2023. Have you voted yes on issue one yet? Do not delay. Do not wait until August 8th. I made the uh, football game metaphor at the beginning, the day before the first quarter started. I said back on July 10th that the game starts tomorrow. The game would be, that would be game day. July 11th was game day. The reason why is it's not a single day event anymore. If you vote the way we used to vote, where it was all about waiting until election day, we're going to lose. We've been forced to accept that many, many times now. I don't like it. You don't like it, but it's real. Early voting is real. Democrats embraced it and have weaponized it. Uh, Republicans have resisted it and have paid a price for it. Do not let them build a giant lead in early voting and then hope that we get there and enough of us get there on Election Day. Fight it as a four-quarter game. First quarter was week number one. Second quarter is week number two, which ends today. Tomorrow is the start of the third quarter. It would be the third week of early voting. Then you've got one more week after that. Then I consider Election Day to be the two-minute warning. That's really it. That's that's when it just comes down to crunch time. We've got to try to see if we can get something done in a short period of time, but we can't give up four quarters and then expect to win the game in the two-minute warning. I hope you follow the metaphor. Joining me now to talk about the uh, 
fight to pass issue one in the state of Ohio is Mark Pukita. Mark is a former U.S. Senate candidate, you may recall. Uh, he is uh, the founder of the Grassroots Freedom Initiative as well and the host of the Unite American show. Mark Pukita and I had our differences last year during the gubernatorial primary. Uh, we had a little bit of a clashing clash of ideas on who and what we should support, but I'll tell you what, we are in lockstep right now, and I welcome him back to our program on AM 1420, The Answer. Mark, good morning, good to have you. How are you this morning? Good morning, Bob. I'm well. How are you? Um, I'm all right, Mark. I'm, um, I'll be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a little worried, if I'm being 100% frank, because of the polling that I think is being done, some exit polling from various uh, boards of edu- uh, boards of elections where uh, uh, people are voting early right now. It looks like there are a lot more Democrats going out to vote early than there are Republicans. So I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm also optimistic because I think we have a great message. What's your read right now? So I'm... Uh... I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, fair way to say. There, there has been a, a massive pickup in activity, which I'm, I'm pleased about, the past week or so. Uh, for example, we've got about 30 people now calling pastors across the state. We're just, you know, knocking them off one by one like you would do a get-out-the-vote um, kind of campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're making them aware to kind of leverage every call, right? Rather than doing one-on-one, we're hoping to do one-on-many. And uh, we've got a, a nice Issue 1 web page that, that we are continuing to add to with resources for pastors, for, for family, to, to just really understand what's going on here. Because there's a lot of, imagine that, Bob, there's a lot of misinformation about Issue 1 in the press. Yeah, there really is. Uh, Mark, before we continue, what is that webpage? Let everybody know where to go. Okay, so it's GFI, Grassroots Freedom Initiative, but it's GFI Ohio, GFIOHIO.com backslash issue one. Use a small I on the issue one. So it's GFIOHIO.com backslash issue one. And if you even just go to the webpage, the, the homepage, there's a button right at the top. You can't miss it. You can hit it, and you can get to that page as well. Yep, got it. Got it up in front of me. I just want to be able to share that. Uh, We'll make sure to tweet it, Facebook it, Truth Social it, and everything else that we can. So that is very, very important. So, okay. I'm sorry, continue. Go ahead. I I was going to say we encourage people, if you see any resources out there that you think are valuable that aren't on that page, just fill in a a message on the website, and we'll get get it taken care of. That's good to hear. And there are. You know, that's the thing. The... the, um, the nature of grassroots, and I'm glad that's what your organization is called, um, is is really kind of being put to the test here. There is a ton of money, outside money from radical extremist groups. When I say outside, I mean outside of Ohio, some within too, but but outside of Ohio that just are outspending us like crazy on ads, on television. They've been on the air for months, on radio, uh, social media influencers, and so forth against issue one. We're being outspent, so the true nature and the true viability of grassroots work is really at stake here we have to go you know mouth to ear you know a uh, person to person voice to voice everything that we can do you know message to message uh to get out there because we don't have the ability and we don't have the resources of the uh radicals that they do to, to pump millions and millions and millions into this no on ohio campaign we just uh we have to do this at a at a pace that we can manage yeah exactly and it's things like, you know, handing people information that you print off at home, putting uh, magnetic car signs. I mean, we've got 
300 sets of car signs out there, rolling billboards, emailing 10 people, texting 10 people. I mean, it really, it's the old-fashioned networking uh, kind of thing. I ran into someone who used to be a headhunter, and they, they use that analogy. You know, you, you had to make 100 calls to find a candidate, and you had to find 10 candidates, you know, to have a slate of candidates or for a, a, a job in order to make a placement and make money. So you had to make, you know, those thousand calls or whatever. That's exactly what we need to be doing. It's just good old-fashioned hard work. Amen. Very well said. Mark Pukita is our guest. Mark is a former Senate candidate, and, again, he's the founder of the Grassroots Initiative. So, so Mark, let's hit um, – Let's hit your work. You did some incredible work on Twitter. This is what brought you back to my attention. It's been a little while since we've talked. Tell us, you know, one of the arguments of those opposing issue one is that we're surrendering surrendering our power. This is our voice we're giving up. We're going to be giving it up to uh, the politicians, the legislators. We're not going to have any ability to, to do anything that we don't, you know, that uh, the legislature doesn't approve anymore. You have gone through... Um, a lot of the history, particularly the recent history of ballot initiatives in the state of Ohio. Tell us, first of all, why you did what you did, and then get us to the uh, to the uh, study and the results. Well, there's a lot of mis- misinformation out there, Bob, about uh, that point exactly. The, the other side, the, the people supporting a no vote are saying that we're giving up our democracy, which is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, first of all, we're a representative republic, so we don't do everything by every person in the country who's of voting age voting on issues. Those kind of things, those democracies have failed everywhere. There hasn't been one country or organization that's, that's worked like that over time. They've all fallen apart and become tyrannical. So I decided to go in and look at what the real deal was on this. In other words, what was the reality, not the emotion? So I, I pulled every ballot initiative that, that has been on the ballot since 1950, and then I sorted out the ones that were supposedly citizen-led ballot initiatives to amend the Constitution, right? There are other initiatives. We won't go into that. Sure. So there were 43 of them. And only um, 10 of them got a yes vote. 33 got no votes. But more importantly, only eight of those initiatives, about 18.5%, were decided by less than the 20% difference between 60 and 40. In other words, most of them, right, were decided... Uh, 35 of the 43 were decided by well over a 60% um, uh, target, right? So, so, and then the ones that weren't, when I looked at them, casino, minimum wage, slot machines, uh, uh, new, uh, uh, consume beer at 21, repealed all taxes passed since 1982. I mean, you know, they were, uh, they were not, most of them were not truly citizen-led initiatives. In other words, there may be Ohio citizens' name on the, on the, uh, uh, the, the initiative, uh, uh, to sponsor it, but the big money is coming in, like casinos, like activist group, groups, and they're the ones really driving this. All of the things that were, um, citizen, really truly citizen-led, like healthcare mandates, 
they passed by 66%. Uh, uh, constitutional rights of crime victims, um, that passed by, by um, 83%. So the reality is that nobody is giving up anything, and what we're doing is protecting ourselves from the outside interest because they come to every state. There are only 18 states that allow initiatives, only eight like us that have absolutely unconstrained and unqualified 50% plus one targets. And if you go to the progressive website, you go to the activist websites and you look where they've got initiatives going on, those eight states are on the list all the time. Mark, um, what you've done, we're talking to Mark Pukita. Uh, Mark has done some incredible work here uh, trying to figure out the reality of what it means if we were to raise the threshold to 60% to amend the Ohio Constitution from the current 50% plus one when it comes to citizen ballot initiatives. Mark is also the founder of, uh, of uh, um, Grassroots Freedom Initiative. Mark, what you've done here is you have, I think, largely taken the emotion out of the argument. You, you, because right now... <clears throat> So much of the issue one debate that I'm hearing and, and even engaging in is about, you know, abortion and the potential, you know, the initiative that's going to be on in November about abortion and trans and so on and so forth. And then you get the pro-lifers versus the pro-death cult and so forth. You've taken the, the emotion out of it and just saying strictly by numbers, changing it from 50 to 60 percent is not going to have this dramatic effect that people think it is considering the results of past initiatives. As you say, 35 out of 43 since 1950 were either proved or defeated by over 60%. This this isn't something where 52 to 48 is the norm. It's almost always over that threshold anyway, so there's no threat to losing our democracy in terms of, uh, um, you know, which is, of course, the argument that the, the no one issue one people are making. Well, I would argue it protects our democracy because <clears throat> if you look at our democracy, small D, excuse me, big D, um, uh, you know, we're, we're used to, we're, the, the reality is we should be having as much state control over what goes on as possible. And that means the people of the state vote on things to run the business of Ohio, run the families of Ohio, you know, run the culture of Ohio. And instead, because we have this lower bar, Outside interests are coming in and, and disrupting our culture. It's, it's not democratic, and it's just not fair. No, it's not, Mark. And, um, you know, I, I, I want you to address one other element of this, because, um, again, I think you've got a very pragmatic view of this. Um, and I agree with you, by the way, that it does protect the Constitution. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't sell out the Constitution. Is this simply um, the product of the left's accusations of gerrymandering? Because the the typical way that we resolve things, if we change laws like the heartbeat law that we don't like, or or we want to um, add a law, or, or 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 you know replace a law, these kinds of things, we go to our legislature. That's the way it's supposed to work. These people represent us for a reason. The left screams that we've gerrymandered the districts, and they'll never be able to get what they want from the legislature, and that's why they're going through this citizen initiated initiated amendment process. Um, do they have a leg to stand on with that argument, in your view? I don't think so, Bob. I think that the left will do anything uh, outside of what we consider the boundaries of, you know, the three branches of government and the separation of powers, right? So this is just, a, they, they, 
they have corrupted the judiciary by seating activist judges, right? They go around the legislature to use executive orders in states like Pennsylvania to change voting law at the last minute. This is just another way to go around the legislature because, honestly, when you think about it, or in reality, when you think about it, our representative democracy, the strongest advocates we have, because there's a lot of them, right? So so one person's effect is diluted, you know, as compared to a governor or a president. Legislators, there are more of them, and they represent a smaller number of constituents for the most part. And this is a way to go around them. And, you know, if you do the research on the activism around this kind of thing, they they say it. I mean, this is not, you know, it's not something hidden you have to kind of translate or figure out or read the tea leaves. I mean, they say that they are going to do these kind of things because they can't get the action from legislators because legislators want to be reelected. And we don't want them doing the things that those on the left want done. Mark Paquita is my guest. He's the founder of the Grassroots Freedom Initiative. He's also a former U.S. Senate candidate. So, Mark, you um, made a note in your tweet um, about uh, the other the organizations that are not supporting Issue One. In fact, the ones that are actively opposing Issue Ones, and then you called it a. Uh, I'm paraphrasing it here because I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of a cornucopia of progressive, radical, extremist organizations. Can you give me a few of those? Um, yeah, Human Rights Campaign, BLM, the uh, Communist Party or Socialist Communists, uh, Communist Democrats or Socialist Democrats of Ohio. You can go to the website. The list is there. They're proud of it. Um, and and here, here's, here are, here's a group. Here are groups that I, I, I don't understand. The police union and fire unions are saying vote no. And I sent you a link this morning of a group that is already collecting signatures to submit a petition for an amendment to the attorney general to do away with qualified immunity for first responders. (laughs) It's already there. You can go see it. I put it out in a tweet and on Facebook this morning that the, the things that we're telling people to worry about in November aren't some kind of of conspiracy theory dream. You can go find references today for what they want to do in November. And then I sent you the other link about the abortion amendment saying that 50, their early polling says likely voters, 57% will vote yes. That's why we need the 60% threshold because it's too easy to change the constitution. If they want to write laws, have them debated in the General Assembly, have them get a lot of TV coverage, have a lot of time for consideration and committees and things like that, they should do it. They don't want to do it because it's too hard. It's too expensive. This is the least expensive way for them to make the change they want to make. Mark, that's a it's a great point, and the qualified immunity point is um, is one that is not lost on me. I talk to a lot of cops and even uh, union, you know, FOP members and, and leaders and so on and so forth. I have not yet gotten an answer as to why they have decided to vote against their own self interests uh, by opposing issue one, because the, this is something that could absolutely come down the pike uh, very very quickly. In fact, an amendment to uh, to uh, remove qualified immunity from uh, from our first responders. I I'll never understand that part. Um, 
We have a call off the air, Mark, from somebody who said, where did you get all of your statistics from? Uh, because they want to use this info when talking to people. W- where can people find the uh, details that you dug up? Uh, Ballotpedia. 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 Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, they, they track all of those things, initiatives. Everything. Yep. Right yep. back to 1912 or 1913. And uh, unfortunately, you just can't download it. So it took me hours to, you know, copy and reformat. But I was just so sick and tired of hearing about we're going to lose our democracy that I decided to put together some numbers. And, you know, people are still saying that, even people who consider themselves to be kind of grassroots conservatives. And they're, they're, they're being way too myopic or inward looking at their feelings about Frank LaRose, their feelings about Mike DeWine. I don't like either of those guys, right, as politicians. But in this case, I'm looking at policy. I'm looking at data. I'm looking at reality. And this is the right thing to do if you're a conservative, you know, God-fearing, tax-paying, hard-working Ohioan. Well, that's the reason you're here right now with me is because of the hard work, hard work you put in. I can't find this anywhere. Nobody can. As you say, Ballapedi has each of the individual items there, but nobody compiled a spreadsheet the way you did. So I want to tell everybody, uh, I have retweeted it. It's from Mark Pukita's, uh, Twitter feed, which is M Pukita, M, um, uh, sorry, M P U K I T A. But I've retweeted it at France Rants as well. You can share it on Twitter, print it and share it with people. As Mark said, you know, I mean, print flyers. Give them to neighbors, friends, coworkers. Put them in the break room. Put them wherever you can, and let people know the reality about why it's so important that we support and pass issue one. Uh, it is it is in all of our best interests to protect the founding document uh, of the of the uh, state of Ohio. Uh, Mark, really, really appreciate you coming on. Really, more appreciate the hours that you put in to do the work here to show people that this is not going to lead to a loss of our democracy. In fact, as you say, it actually protects our democracy. And when we say democracy, we mean the democratic process. We are a republic who uses that practices democracy to get where we uh, need to be. Mark, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it very much. And uh, between now and uh, August 8th, I wish you the best. And uh, I wish all of us the best. And, and uh, we'll talk again. Likewise, Bob. Thank you, Mark. That's Mark Pukita. M. Pukita, M-P-U-K-I-T-A, on Twitter if you want access to his spreadsheet that he compiled and all of the facts that he highlighted with it. It's very, very important. Remember that. 35 of the 43 initiatives, 35 of the, of the 43 citizen-initiated initiated ballot initiatives to amend the uh, Constitution were approved or defeated by over 60%. Requiring 60% is not a big leap at all. We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Okay, 11.36, got time for a few phone calls here before the end of the broadcast as we ask Bill O'Reilly to carry to the top of the hour for us, coming up here in about nine minutes. Kirsten Al on tomorrow's program. Appreciate uh, everybody who's been a big part of today. Jim Jordan, we spoke with Jim Jordan. We spoke with uh, FOP President Dan Hills down in uh, Cincinnati about that horrific officer-involved attack. Uh, and then, of course, a uh, great conversation with Mark Pukita. You want to talk about issue one? You want to talk about uh, any of those things? We'll take your calls. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're going to go to Navy Man Norm first. Navy Man Norm, 
Welcome back to the program. You're on the air. Fire away, sir. Good morning, Bob. I think it's time that the American people, and especially the people in our local communities, understand it's not enough to stand behind our police. We have to stand with them. We have to stand side by side with our police officers. You know, I am so sick and tired of this Department of Jackals, the DOJ, and that's what I call them, Department of Jackals, with their consent decrees and with their citizens' review committees, looking over the shoulder of these officers. I'd like to see one of those clowns from the DOJ spend one day in Cleveland or Cincinnati Center City and go through what these police officers go through. You know, perhaps no profession, no profession, Bob, maybe save our military. And although they don't, they don't even have to go through this with, with some of our enemies. They're spat upon, they're harassed, they're attacked, and in the media, okay? Uh, a, big, a big ABC national TV story of the weekend was some police officer let his dog go after a perpetrator after the perpetrator surrendered. That's ABC's big story. So you got the media against the police constantly. I know our own local media, they, they beat the drum constantly against our police departments, and I'm sick of it. I am just so sick of it. We in Strongsville have been blessed with the best police department and a wonderful chief, uh, Mark Fender, who's going to be retiring shortly, and I know his successor is going to do just as good of a job as, as Chief Fender does. But we have to stand with our police against the forces of evil. And, Bob, that's what they are. They are the forces of evil. They want to do away with our police. They want to defund them. They want to demean them in every way they can. And I, for one, am not going to stand still for it. Believe me. Well, the sad reality is, Norm, everything you just said is correct, uh, and they are defunding, and they are understaffed now because it, even even some of the you know, the woke cities that, that canceled their police forces by defunding them to the point of almost non-existence, once they realize uh, what a terrible mistake that was and, uh, you know, and, and are trying to, trying to hire people back now, they can't find anybody to do it. And I don't blame them. They can't find cops to, who want to come back and work for these cities that obviously sold them out so quickly, um, you know, and, and knowing that violent crime is on the rise and they're not going to be allowed. Did you see just in... Uh, the state of Illinois, the Supreme Court of the state of Illinois, just ruled that no cash bail is constitutional. So it is now statewide that you arrest a violent thug who victimized, let's just say for the sake of the discussion, victimized two people, uh, and, and one of them died and the other one is, uh, is still alive. Well, according to the no cash bail system, they get to process this guy and then set him free to do what? To go silence the one who survived and can ID him. To go, to, to literally go. In other words, the, the crime wave that we are seeing in this country is so out of control in large part because they defunded cops and they can't hire new ones now who want to come and be a part of this. And because once they do get good men and women wearing blue who bring them in, these people are set free with little to no consequences because of radical DAs and judges. So Norm, the whole system is in a state of, uh, is in a state of chaos because of what the left has done. And that's why I say we have to stand with these police officers because if we don't, we're all in peril in, in plain English. And, and it's, a, it's a damn shame. I don't know if you saw the story. You probably didn't because I don't think they publicized it. Fargo, North Dakota, last week, a Syrian immigrant here on uh, Amnesty 
shot and killed a police officer, shot three others before he was gunned, before he was killed, thank God, by a police officer. They found 1,800 rounds of ammunition in his car, a hand grenade. Grenades, yep. Two propane. Yep. Did you see it on the news media? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I, no, I found it because I look for these kinds of things. But you're right. That got very, very, very little coverage. I didn't see it on any national TV. I mean, you can find it on local Fargo uh, uh, um, television state networks and so forth. But you're right. And the worst part about this is they determined that he was not going to be charged under terrorism laws. He's not being considered a terrorist despite all of the explosives and, and massive stockpiles of ammunition that he had, uh, you know, that they found. Mohammed Barakat is his name. That's and they it. Decided, yep. they decided he's not going to face terrorism charges. It's unbelievable. It's, uh, I'm going to be covering that story on True Blue today as well. Well, fortunately, he won't be facing any charges because he's in the ground now. Well, well, we, we, right, right. But I mean, in terms of of determining this to be what it was, oh, yeah. uh, which is a terrorist no attack, thing, this needs to be no, called that, and they don't do it. No, they refuse to. They refuse to. And I mean, uh, who vetted him? A Syrian national who came here under amnesty? Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Norm, thank you, my friend. I appreciate your call and obviously your passion for support in support of our uh, community and our law enforcement. Uh, let's go to um, Derek in Richfield next. Hi, Derek. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, you're welcome. Good morning. Um, so just real quick with Navy Man Norm, yeah, absolutely. Um, we don't – once a society, nation starts fighting with the people, start fighting with the police, um, I mean, it just goes downhill from there. But I, I called about issue one. So okay. first, just the – you know, I see these – you know, the signs of the, the, uh, the no – the against side, where it says protect majority rule. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. 50% plus one right now is only half. So if it goes to 60, that would be the majority. So I don't know which side, you know, gives uh, misinformation here. But, yeah, I mean, 60% is obviously a majority. So I don't know what majority rule they think is threatened here. But uh, obviously they're just lying. Um, and then so I want to see what you say. So I heard um, a counter ar- an argument yesterday with someone that – you know, kind of surprised I heard him say he wasn't sure if he's voting yes or no. He's a very conservative man. Um, but he was just saying that it might work against us. And I don't agree with it, but this is what other people are saying, even Republicans on our side, that, um, oh, well, well, then if someone, let's say, he gave, you know, an example of, Someone trying to run for commissioner or something, then you know, then then all that you're going to have to have all these counties that are that get on your side and approve you. So, I mean, you know, there are those people that are you know not sure. They're using those kind of examples and arguments. So, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this, and I don't know what you know what you have to say about that. Actually, I didn't quite understand the the argument you were making about commissioners or or needing. Can you explain that again? Well, I, I think he, his his point was that that then you know, but then if we try to get something passed or or even someone elected that we want. It, he was just trying to say that it's going to be so much more difficult because now we're going to need you know those higher numbers to get you know. Uh, well, to get we should be clear that this this has nothing to do with elections. It wouldn't require sixty percent to get somebody elected or anything of that nature. This is only oh. to amend the Ohio Constitution. Uh, so to that end, they're right in, in, to a degree that yes, everybody who wants to amend the Constitution for good or bad or for extremism or or or, or common sensible you know reasons um, are going to need to have sixty percent, and that could come back to hurt a little bit uh, if you want but here's my belief it ought to be difficult whether you want to change it for a a reason and thanks for the call my friend whether you want to change the constitution for a reason supported by leftists or a reason a reason supported by
by uh, constitutionalist patriots. It should be difficult. It's a constitution, not the Ohio Revised Code. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.